Let's pray. Our Father, as we open now your word, we would ask for your spirit to give us understanding and to give us ways that we can apply and learn and appreciate your word. We would ask our Father these things for your honor and for your glory. We're asking them through Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Would invite you to open to the Westminster Confession, chapter 21. There's a bulletin insert if that's more convenient, or if it's in the back of the Trinity hymnal as well. And then in the scriptures to several places, we'll be looking at 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4, and Romans 10. In Sunday evenings, we've been going through the Westminster Confession. How grateful we are to have a confession of faith, and how grateful we are to have a confession of faith that has a whole chapter on the worship of God. It starts with section one correctly, reminding us that it's God's prerogative to tell us how we approach him. And the scriptures are very clear that worship is limited by his own revealed will, so that God may not be worshipped in any other way that's not prescribed in Scripture. Everything has to be um, explained and directed by Scripture in worship. So what are those ways that God has given us to worship him? You might say the answer is only two, word and prayer. And it's of those two main elements, everything else is a subset. In word, God is speaking to us, and prayer, we are speaking to God. And as our directory of worship says, it's advisable that those two parts alternate because a worship service is a a conversation between God and his people. Last time we looked at how prayer is an element of worship, and tonight we'll begin to consider how scripture is an element of worship in section 5. The various elements of the ordinary religious worship of God are the reading of scriptures with reverence, the sound preaching and conscientious hearing of the word in obedience to God with understanding, faith, and reverence, the singing of psalms with grace in the heart and the proper administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments instituted by Christ. Also on special occasions and at appropriate times, there are other elements of worship, namely religious oaths, vows, solemn fasts, and thanksgivings. These are to be used in an holy and devout manner. Tonight, tonight, let's just consider two of the ways that Scripture is to be used in the church's public worship, that Scripture is to be reverently read, and secondly, Scripture is to be faithfully preached. This is a good thing to review why we do what we do in public worship. What we do in a worship service is not just tradition, it's not just preference, it's not just what Presbyterians do. We must know that each of these elements is because the scriptures are requiring these things in public worship. And so this section of the confession begins with, you notice the first element that's listed is the reading of scriptures with reverence. Scripture is to be reverently read. Scriptures place in the Old Testament worship was central. You think about it, for most of the history of God's people, they only heard the Bible. Most of the history of the church, people did not have a copy of of the scriptures themselves. So it was very important in the public worship to read widely in the scriptures so that people would know the full scriptures. If I were to ask you what was the first section of scripture that was recorded, at least written, uh, 
mentioned as being recorded. It's the Ten Commandments. These words of the covenant set forth God's promises and the duties of the covenant with blessings and cursings. And these words of the covenant were to be read and taught to the people in public worship. Deuteronomy 31, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. In the Old Testament, the public reading of Scripture became firmly rooted through the prophet Ezra, you remember reading in Nehemiah chapter 8, and so that the custom of God's people was to regularly read in worship of the synagogue every Sabbath day. Moses is read in the synagogues every Sabbath day, Acts 15.21. And there is the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate on the Sabbath, reading the word in the synagogue, Luke 4.17. The scripture's reading was a central part of Old Testament worship, and that is brought into the New Testament covenant worship, scripture reading central place. You have 1 Timothy 4.13 open before you, and here's the apostle's command to Timothy. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Devote. What comes to mind when you hear that word? It's a strong word. This is serious. This is a commitment. This is a priority. Give attention to this. And certainly Paul is referring to the Old Testament custom, which is then reading the law of God every Sabbath in the synagogues. And Paul is saying this continues into the New Testament church. This verse is the earliest reference we have of the apostles' instruction to read the scriptures And as the church gathers for worship, the apostles expected the church to read Old Testament scriptures and their letters added to the scriptures every Sabbath. Colossians 4, 16, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. First Thessalonians 5.27, I adjure, strong word again, I adjure you by the Lord Jesus Christ to have this letter read to all the churches. What's the blessing that's given in Revelation 1.3? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. God commands a blessing on the reading of his word in the church. Why is it so important to have this as an element of worship, the public reading of scripture? Well, the answer is, is when we have the word read, it's God that's speaking to us. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. And so our directory of worship says, because the hearing of God's word is a means of grace, the public reading of the scriptures is an essential element of public worship. He who performs this serves as God's representative voice, and thus it ordinarily should be performed by a minister of the word. Through this reading, 
God speaks directly to the congregation in his own words. That's why it's important to have the public reading of Scripture in a worship service. God is speaking. Well, if that's the case, how are we to respond? Well, there's the respond of the reader and there's the respond of the congregation. The response of the minister or the elder that's reading, continuing still in the directory of worship. For this reason, the reader of scripture in public worship should refrain from interspersing the reading of God's word with human comments. He should use an accurate, faithful translation in the language of the people. He should read clearly and with understanding and the congregation should attend to the reading with the deepest reverence. This is why historically, in our tradition, the scripture is read without any commentary being interjected into the text. The minister doesn't read a word, a verse, and stop, and then give his own comments, and read another verse, and stop. When you're coming to the reading of scripture, you just read the scripture, because God is speaking in and through his word. And that's why the scripture reading in our public worship is read only by men who are qualified to preach. It's the same qualification, ministers and elders, because scripture reading has the authority of God. God is speaking directly to us. So it's only the same people that are ordained to preach or are qualified to preach should be reading the scripture in public worship. So there's no child to be reading scripture in public worship, no woman, only the elders and ministers and men licensed for the gospel ministry. As an aside, weddings and funerals and Sunday school are not church worship services. We're talking about church worship services. Responsibility on the minister and the elder. What's the responsibility of the congregation? Well, if somebody said to you, you're going to be hearing God speak today, how would you respond? How would you be getting ready? You'd certainly be self-consciously focused. You'd be engaged. Well, you really are. When you hear the scriptures read, that is God's word. That's one of the reasons why the elders have asked the deacon at the door, not to have people walking in and out while the scripture is read, to show reverence. This is why in our tradition we stand for the reading of scripture. The reading of scripture, not just reading the scripture, the sermon text, but the public reading of a chunk of scripture in a worship service is in its own right an element of worship. It's not a warm-up for the sermon. It is a necessary, commanded element of public worship. It's covenant renewal. We're hearing again God's promises and commands, and we respond in faith. Scripture is to be reverently read. How else is Scripture to be used in the public worship services? And secondly, tonight then, Scripture is to be faithfully preached. As the confession says, the sound preaching and conscientious hearing of the word in obedience to God with understanding, faith, and reverence. And Paul is saying this in 1 Timothy 4.13, devote yourself 
And then it goes on to exhortation and teaching. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this. In so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Turn over to 2 Timothy 4. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I charge you, more strong language. This is critically important, a top priority. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Preach the word. Why is it so important to have scripture preached in public worship? Why would the apostle be charging Timothy for this solemn responsibility? Well, there's at least three reasons. One reason is, is that scripture is to be faithfully preached because the church was founded upon the preaching of the word of God. It was the day of Pentecost. Peter stood to preach. And the Holy Spirit blessed the preaching of the word and the new covenant church was born from a sermon. Ford says no church existed without or apart from preaching. The churches came into being with preaching and preaching came into being with the church so the believers continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread, Acts 2.42. The scriptures came through the apostles, so it's wherever the church spread, it was the same expression as the word spread, because it was the practice of the apostles to preach the word on the first day of the week, Acts 27, because preaching is the ordinance of God. Same thing happened during the Reformation. There was an explosion of preaching. Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, Knox were all preaching. Preaching transformed Europe. And so the gospel has reached every nation on earth today. And God is still doing it this way. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. How were you born again? Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1, 23, you're born again through the hearing of the word. That's God's usual way to give the new birth as we're hearing and sitting under the preaching and teaching and the ministry of the word of God. Rayburn writes, Christianity has been from the beginning a preached faith. It is a message to proclaim, and that message is proclaimed by preachers. And once people have been called to faith in Jesus Christ, there is so much to learn about what it means to follow Jesus. And much of that learning has always come from hearing sermons, from listening to preaching. God has ordained that his gospel be proclaimed, heralded through preaching. The word uh, preacher literally means a herald or a public crier. In the ancient world, there were no press conferences, there was no modern media, so if the king wanted to get a message out, he would send out his official representatives as heralds who would proclaim his deeds, proclaim the end of war, proclaim his decrees. Preachers have been ordained by God as his official heralds. 
official representatives of King Jesus. Because preaching is the the best means that's suited for what the gospel is. It's the nature of the gospel message as coming from a message from a king. The gospel is a message that God has invaded human history in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has intervened to accomplish our redemption for us on our, in our place on the cross. He's risen from the dead as victor. He's won the cosmic more. Jesus Christ is now ruling as king of kings and lord of lords. And he grants full pardon, full forgiveness to all those who trust in him and commit their lives to him. That's good news. And that's to be proclaimed. The only way that's appropriate, most appropriate for that glorious message is proclamation, preaching, herald from a king. Because as Zura said, God is not negotiating with this message. He's not asking for discussion or attempting to strike a bargain. As the Lord of the universe, he's declaring a word that demands compliance from his creation. The gospel demands a method of communication that is authoritative. God has acted. God has come. You must respond. This is why it's so important in our day to hold the line Preaching cannot be replaced with a minister sitting in a bar stool at the front in jeans having a chat with you. That's not preaching. That's not heralding a message from a king. Preaching cannot be replaced with a panel discussion. It can't be replaced with dance, not acting, not movies, not political lectures, not self-help speeches, not multimedia presentations, not special effects, not puppets, not clowns, not drama. These things are not prescribed in scripture, but preaching is required. I charge you, Timothy. In the New Testament times, drama was was immensely popular. It was staged in all the major centers of the Hellenistic world. However, God chose the apostles did not deliver the gospel through drama. They delivered the message of God through the preached word. Direct communication, not indirect. Verbal, not visual. That's how God has chosen to herald his word. Because direct communication is necessary for issues of great importance. The President of the United States would not air a dramatic skit or an interpretive dance to announce to the nation an attack on the trade towers or that the nation was going to war. God is declaring his conquering, his completion of the work of the gospel, good news that's to be proclaimed and heralded. And he has ordained that that be done through preaching. Scripture is to be faithfully preached because the church was founded upon the word of God continues to be founded upon the word of God. Secondly, Scripture is to be faithfully preached because the church is addressed through the word of God. Turn to Romans 10. Scripture is to be faithfully preached because the church is addressed through the word of God. Romans 10, 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe him of whom they have never heard? You notice I didn't read it as it's written. Paul didn't write 
The text does not say, how shall they believe in him of whom they have never heard? It's literally, how shall they believe him of whom they have never heard? In other words, Christ's own voice is what they're hearing in the sermon. Verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In the preaching of the scriptures, Christ himself is preaching the sermon. That's the point. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. God is speaking to us in the preaching of his word And so, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Christ is speaking through me, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 13.3. Christ is speaking to his church now in the word preached. And that's why the Reformers referred to the preaching of the scriptures as the vox dei, the voice of God, or more particular, vox Christi, the voice of Christ. Luther said, yes, I hear the sermon, but who's speaking? The minister? No, indeed. You do not hear the minister. True, the voice is his, but my God is speaking the word that he preaches or speaks. This is why Calvin referred to the pulpit as the throne of God. Our directory of worship, God addresses the congregation by the mouth of his servant and through his spirit opens the ears of the people. Strong language in the Helvetic Confession, 1566, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful. That's why we need preaching. Scriptures to be faithfully preached because this church was founded upon the preaching of the word. We need scripture to be faithfully preached because the Church is addressed through the word of God. Christ is speaking to us. And third, scripture needs to be faithfully preached because the church is nourished through the word of God. This is one of the means of grace. This is how God strengthens and ministers to his people. Preaching is is such a litmus test for a true church. It's one of the three marks of a true church of Christ, the pure preaching of the word, sincere administration of the sacraments, and Church discipline. Wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there a church of God exists, John Calvin. If preaching is to be the means that God nurtures and grows his church, then what's our responsibility? And again, there's a responsibility of both the preacher and the congregation. There's a responsibility upon the preacher. 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching. Men are called into the office of minister to work hard all their life to bring the best that they are able to bring the word of God. They're going to bring their best labors, their best prayers, all of their strength. 
Luther's attitude to preaching was right. He said, quote, the office of preaching is an arduous task. I've often said that if I could come down with a good conscience, I would rather be stretched upon a wheel and carry stones than preach one sermon. For anyone who is in this office will always be plagued, and therefore I have often said that the damned devil and not a good man should be a preacher. But we're stuck with it now. If I had known, I would not have let myself be drawn into it with 24 horses. Michael Horton, preaching is not central because we value the intellect to the exclusion of the emotions and the wills, but because it's God's action rather than our own. The God who accomplished our salvation now delivers it to us. In preaching, we are addressed. We're not in charge, but we're seated to be judged and justified. Christ gives himself to us as our food and drink for eternal life. It's a banquet set for us. The meal has already been prepared, and Christ even serves it to us through his ministers. We are fed, our filthy rags removed. We're bathed and clothed with Christ and fed for our pilgrimage to the city of God. Beyond our powers to comprehend, the Spirit communicates Christ to us through these creaturely means of preaching and sacrament. Before we serve, we are served. Before we do anything, something is done to and for us. In the Lord's Day service, God sets a feast where he is the chef, host, and provider. He provides the bath, the clothes, the food, the drink, even our fellow guests, all without cost to us. And Christ calls his ministers to represent him as servants, waiting on the guests, providing them with all of the table's delicacies. Huge responsibility for the minister. It's also a responsibility for the congregation to the preaching of the scriptures. If I told you there's at least six responsibilities of the congregation for the hearing of a sermon, how many do you think you could list? I trust each of these six that you're committed to, all six of them. Because the preaching of the scriptures is so important, the congregation has this responsibility, six of them, first of all, to pray for the minister. It's when Moses' arms were lifted up that the battle succeeded. It's a critical role to hold up Moses' arms, and it becomes a picture of praying. Paul calls the church, Ephesians six nineteen, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray for those who are bringing the scriptures. Pray that God would give him understanding into the scriptures. Charles Spurgeon once told his congregation, May God help me if you cease to pray for me. Let me know the day, and I must cease to preach. That's the first responsibility. Second responsibility of the congregation is to prepare our hearts to hear. Preparation for coming to worship will mean that we'll never stumble into a worship service late, preoccupied, unprepared, ignorant about what's going on. We're going to come prepared. Charles Spurgeon, on this responsibility of the congregation, he said, we are told men ought to not, excuse me, let me start again. We are told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted, but we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation, the sower or the ground? 
I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than the preacher. How much preparation do you give your heart before you come to hear the word preached? To be sure that you have a good sleep the night before, that you've spent time in prayer confessing our own sins, coming before the Lord, anticipating, asking that God has prepared our hearts to be good soil, ready to hear the scriptures. Third responsibility is to listen with reverence. Reverence, of course, is going to be affecting the whole atmosphere of worship from the beginning to end. It means we're going to be giving our best, our enthusiasm, our focus. Certainly in the New Covenant, our worship is to express grace and joy of forgiveness, to be restored to the Father through faith in Christ. But that does not lead to familiarity. It doesn't replace glory. And worship, God is the only audience, and everything we do in corporate worship is theocentric, God-centered. He's the one to be addressed. He's the one to be pleased. God is speaking to us as the word is read and preached, and we come before him in the beauty of holiness. Hebrews 12, 28, to the New Testament church, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's how you listen to the scriptures preached. Fourth responsibility is to listen to understand. We listen to a sermon not so much to be blessed, which many today just equate with feeling good. <laughs> oh, did you like the sermon? Oh, it felt, it felt so good. To be blessed is just a synonym today for feeling good. You don't listen to be blessed so much as to listen for the truth. Listen to understand. How often did Jesus say, take heed how you listen. And if you don't understand when the word, the seed is sown, it will be snatched away. Matthew 13, 19. Always to be doing that self-reflection. How can I listen to a sermon to better understand it? Maybe it, maybe to take notes, maybe to sit at the front so you're not distracted. Lack of the visual and reformed worship does not mean that we view our worship as being passive. I exhort people to have your own Bible open on your lap. You're looking up texts that are being read. You're taking notes. You're going to discuss the sermon afterwards, perhaps, in your own homes, or taking home the outline and reviewing it and meditating and reflecting some of the small groups of sermons discussion. That's how you listen to a sermon, to understand. Fifth, to confirm it with other scriptures, to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. The Berean believers, even to the apostles' sermons, they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Acts 17, 11. And so Paul would say, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, examine everything carefully, hold fast to what is good. 
There's an irony that some have pointed out, that the irony in, that in most of the churches that defend the clarity of the scriptures, there's also a high premium on the preaching of the scriptures. There's an irony to that because you say, well, wait a minute, if the scripture is clear to all, then why the necessity for preaching to be central? Because preaching of the scriptures assumes the clarity of scripture, and it's not a denial of it. It's the clarity of scripture so that all the believers can hear what is preached, and all believers can go home and compare scripture with scripture and discern what they're hearing. No Protestant minister can say, you must receive my sermon as truth because I am the authority. No one. No minister can say, you must receive my sermon as truth because I'm spirit-filled. I have spirit-anointed authority. Rather, the sermon is true because it can be openly seen that what I'm saying is in line with the meaning of Scripture. And since Scripture is clear to all believers, and since ministers are just as affected by spiritual blindness as anyone All ministers, all believers have a humility to go home and challenge and examine whether these things are true. And ministers should be humbled to receive those questions and challenges. Does that line up with Scripture? Because all believers have the clarity of Scriptures. All believers have the illumination of the Holy Spirit. That's how you're to hear a sermon, confirming it with Scripture. And six to respond with faith and obedience, to make closure with the word of God. You don't just listen to hear, but to believe it, to accept it in faith. Hebrews 4.2, the benefit is only if you're hearing it, if you combine it with faith. And obey, as James says, 1.22, don't be hearers only. Take steps. What have you heard? How are you going to respond This doesn't mean that you always go home after a sermon and you have five steps to change behavior. Not necessarily, but there will always be something to take away. What am I supposed to close with? What am I to believe more deeply? How is my thinking to be challenged? How am I to respond in greater worship? There always must be some response because God has been speaking. It's a solemn question on Judgment Day. How do we wish to answer for all the sermons we've heard where God has spoken to us? Or put it in the positive. How much further our lives would be if every time we heard the word preached, we conscientiously, humbly before God said, let me find something in here to apply and respond to. We'd be so much further along in our devotion and obedience and witness and our love of God. Scripture is to be central for our worship. It's to be reverently read and faithfully preached. Shall we pray?
Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you tell us it's through the foolishness of preaching that you've ordained to save sinners. Why would you choose the likes of us to come to the gospel? Why would you choose the likes of us to be heralds of the gospel? We're all clay pots so that the glory be not in the pot, but in the message. Father, we pray that you will strengthen each of us with these convictions that worship is important. Worship is central. Your word is central. Thank you that you've given it to us. Thank you that you continue to use it, continue to speak in and through it, because it is your word. And thank you that you've also given us the sacraments where Christ is also present and also confirming to the heart of each believer the wonderful message of the gospel of sins forgiven. We pray that you will continue to apply your word now in sacrament to us in Jesus' name. Amen.